Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Supercharge your health with the Doctor's Kitchen Cookbook by Dr. Rupi Audula. Packed with a hundred delicious, easy recipes, plus lots of lifestyle tips and information. Available in all good bookshops. Take your first steps towards optimum health today. Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast with me, Dr. Rupi, where we discuss the most important topics and concepts in the medicinal qualities of food and lifestyle. Today, we are talking about eating for PCOS, or eating for women's hormones as well, actually, with none other than Dr. Anita Mitra, who's a really good friend of mine. She's been on the first series of the podcast. She was one of the most popular people, and she is an amazing source of information. Even though we're talking about women's health, this is a podcast that is relevant for everybody so if you're a guy listening to this make sure you continue listening because you'll find some really good tips hi Anita how are you hi very well thanks <laughs> thanks for having me again again I know this is round two well the first one was super super popular and I think it's only right that we invited you back on to have a more in-depth discussion about your chosen topic why don't we just remind listeners of, of what your story is and what your background is? Yeah, so um, I'm Gynae Geek on social media and I am a gynecologist. And basically, I just love to share kind of digestible information about women's health. It wasn't something that I always wanted to do. Um, I originally started off doing a science degree. Um, and that's so why I went to medical school and again, wasn't really that interested in obstetrics and gynecology and then did it at the end of my degree, fell in love with it. Um, and at the same time, also um, started to really become super interested in having a healthy lifestyle, quite obsessed with diet and exercise, which actually started to have some negative effects on my life. And I didn't have a period for three years. And that, Not a lot of people know about this. No, right? so yeah. this is something that I've actually just started to talk about um, because I just think that it's actually really important that people realise that Absolutely, it's something that can yeah. happen mm. and it's quite easy for it to happen and you not even realise. So I didn't realise that it had happened because I was so busy until I was moving house and I found a box of tampons and I thought, wow, I haven't used you for a while. Um, and then I realised, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> ding, ding. And then I thought, okay, actually, I probably haven't had a period for about maybe seven or eight months. And then this continued. 
But I didn't really at the time have any insight at all into the fact that it was because I was HIIT training maybe six or seven times a week sometimes, definitely not eating enough and also very obsessed with making sure that what I was eating was the trendy food. You know, it had to have quinoa or avocado. Um, it was all about what other people were doing on social media. And I just completely got sucked into this really what was trying to be a healthy lifestyle, but became very, very unhealthy. And that really, to me, is when I first started to realise the true impact of what lifestyle can do to your women's health. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Just immediately. There, the, the three things that you talked about I mean, hit training, increasing your cortisol levels, increasing inflammation, stress as well, of comparing yourself to others, and then also calorific deficit that you probably put yeah. yourself in, and maybe even a nutrient deficit if you weren't eating right. So, Definitely. yeah, so it's a trio of things that no well, wonder. not just that, but also, you know, sleeping about five hours a night, really poor quality of sleep, and also being really, really stressed because this all happened at a time when I was just moving to London, I was starting my PhD, just so many things, and you know, you've just got really a recipe for chaos there. So should we dive into this? Let's uh, let's talk about eating for PCOS. And why don't we talk about exactly what PCOS is? So PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. Okay, so it's a syndrome. So it's a collection of, of symptoms and it's different in everybody. They decided that you needed to have two out of the following three. So firstly, irregular periods, Signs of having too many androgens. So that would be things like excess hair on your face, um, having lots of acne. So this isn't just spots. This is, you know, really cystic acne, something that's really problematic. And also, you know, things with mood. And then the third thing is having polycystic ovaries on an ultrasound scan. So they are the three things. But if you have two of them, then you fit the criteria for a diagnosis of PCOS. Another thing that's quite common in PCOS is insulin resistance. You might wonder how insulin, so the hormone that regulates your blood sugar, has anything to do with hormones. Between 50 and 80% of women who have PCOS have insulin resistance, and this contributes to why they actually have this problem. And that's because insulin actually stimulates your ovaries, so the theca cells of the ovary, it stimulates them to make lots of testosterone. So then you're adding to the problem. So you've got lots of sugar, not enough insulin to sort it out. You're making lots of testosterone. And then what happens is you don't ovulate. That's one of the really big problems in PCOS. Your ovaries are not able to produce um, an egg every month as you should in a normal menstrual cycle and that's why you get that polycystic appearance it's called a string of pearls on an ultrasound scan I'm sure lots of people have been for an ultrasound scan and the sonographer tries to show them I mean to be honest with you when I first looked at an ultrasound scan I was like what is that I know, I'm yeah. never going yeah, to be yeah, able exactly. to learn I think we have like a level of assumed knowledge as well we're in clinic exactly. as well. well look at this and can you see this and like it just looks like black and white dots I know quite often I'll, I'll um, show patients if I'm scanning them and I say it's really okay to just say you cannot see what I see right now because it's all pattern recognition. But basically your ovary is trying so hard to pop out an egg every month and it's not able and that's why you get this polycystic appearance. So your ovary is trying so hard. Mm. If you're not ovulating, then you're not able to regulate the rest of the hormones. Um, your, most of your progesterone comes from the corpus luteum, which is the sac that the egg ovulates out of. So your progesterone is not going to be very high if you haven't ovulated, and that will cause problems with your periods. So you don't have to ovulate to have a period. That's a common misconception. But if you don't ovulate, you probably tend to have quite a long cycle. So that's why you get infrequent periods with PCOS. And also they can be quite heavy and quite painful. 
The reason is that the longer you have without a period, the lining of your womb will tend to build up. It gets thicker and thicker and then it comes away and it can be quite clotty sometimes, quite thick with little bits in, sometimes little clots. Um, and also it will be painful often because your womb has to try and contract to get all of that lining away. And I am at the moment doing my womb, <laughs> womb dance yeah. with my hands. <laughs> yeah, I think you quite eloquently described the mechanisms behind a lot of the symptoms that women experience and that you know we see in general practice and obviously in gynecology so that's infertility irregular periods heavy bleeding and pain as well particularly worsening pain yeah exactly and i think that the infertility thing is really the thing that scares a lot of women because a lot of people are diagnosed quite they're quite young and you know maybe in their late teens early 20s and for them you know the idea of having a child sounds completely abstract but for a lot of women you know that they think that this is a life sentence that is going to completely ruin all the plans you know and we do see a lot of people coming to fertility clinic who have PCOS as the reason for why they're not getting pregnant but one thing I would say is that the two don't necessarily go hand in hand it's not you have PCOS therefore you will have problems getting pregnant and actually the other week I had a um, I had a student midwife sitting in clinic with me and we were just talking about PCOS before I called the patient in and she said oh I've got PCOS uh, my GP told me I'd never get pregnant so I didn't use any contraception and the next month I was pregnant. So if you have PCOS, please, please use contraception please, because, yeah. you you know, it's not necessary that you will not get pregnant. But we do obviously see a higher prevalence of fertility problems in people who have PCOS. And there are lots of things that you can do about it. And a lot of the lifestyle factors that we're going to discuss today are actually much more effective than any kind of medication that you can have. Absolutely. And I think that's key. And that's something that we can actually stand by, that this is very effective. And certainly when you think about the risks of PCOS, not only does it pertain to things like lack of fertility, I should have said earlier, but risk of diabetes, risk of blood pressure, risk of gestational diabetes. So that's the type of blood sugar dysregulation to diabetes when you're pregnant. All these different lifestyle factors will be protecting you against these risks when you have PCOS as well. Exactly. I also sometimes think that actually finding out that you've got PCOS when you're young can actually, you can, you can give it a positive spin. You can say, okay, I have this risk factor for these very common diseases, like as you mentioned, diabetes, heart disease. And it's a great opportunity to just turn it around and do something good for your health that's going to have a massive positive outcome, not just for fertility, but later in life as well. Absolutely. I, I think I had um, a 16-year-old come into clinic a couple of months ago with her, her mother, who was understandably worried. She'd done a lot of Google searching and fertility certainly came up. It was certainly not on the mind of the 16-year-old at the time. But um, yeah, there's lots of questions. And I think flipping the diagnosis on its head and saying, you know, this is something that we can manage actually and this is an opportunity to not only lead the healthiest happiest life but also prevent these these complications from occurring later on in life as well there's a lot of talk of particular dietary strategies to improve the risks or improve the symptoms uh, immediately of pcos um, low carbing that's that's one thing that i've certainly heard a lot about I have to say that I don't think that there's one particular way. It's what's going to work for you as an individual and it's trial and error. Um, but I have a few suggestions, of course. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, I get really disheartened when I have young women coming to me and they say, my GP told me to lose weight. 
Yes, I, I think that is a bugbear of a lot yeah. of us in this, yeah. And I find it really hard because obviously, you know, I'm quite small. I'm five foot one and three quarters on a good day. And three quarters. <laughs> that three quarters is very important, Rupi. Don't rob me of that. <laughs> and I'm a size eight. But I didn't always used to be. And that's another thing that I always tell patients, you know, I've worked hard to, um, you know, maintain a healthy lifestyle and they can do it too. I like to give my little motivational spiel. But when I say to them, I always start by saying, look, we need to talk about how you can improve your health through the way that you eat and the way that you move. But the first thing I will say is I'm not going to tell you to lose weight. And they all suddenly like, you know, they look at me and think, oh, Okay. And I feel that they suddenly become a lot more engaged. Yes, And yeah. that's the most important thing. First of all, you've got to engage your audience. I'd like to think it's music to their ears because it's just soul destroying to be told you need to lose weight. And it, I don't think it's very helpful either because I think everyone across the country, everyone says to themselves, I need to use weight. I need to use weight. It doesn't give them any idea about how or exactly. what an ideal weight for them is. And actually, when you focus the conversation around being well, that's actually when you get a lot more engaged. And that's actually where you can have a lot more benefit. Absolutely. And so, you know, if you go online, there's something called the PCOS diet. And it just irritates me because it's not. It's about eating for a healthy lifestyle, which as a side effect will help your PCOS. So there is a lot of talk about low carb diets. And for me, I don't like the term low carb. I think it just ultimately to me says food fat. And I think a lot of girls that I see these days are scared of carbohydrates. I have girls coming to see me in clinic and as soon as I start talking about their diet, they immediately think I'm going to say no carbs. A lot of patients ask me as well, what do you eat for lunch, for example? And when I say, you know, I'll have um, chicken with some vegetables and then rice, they're like, oh, she eats carbohydrates. <laughs> and honestly, they're shocked because there is such a fear of carbs these days. And I've been through that too from looking at social media. A few years ago, I was completely terrified of carbs. Social media told me I was not supposed to eat carbohydrates if I wanted to be lean. So, you know, it's it's all about the quality of your carbohydrates, though. That's something I always talk to patients about. There's awful diets online where they say eat 20 grams of carbohydrates. Well, you could have 20 grams of carbohydrates that's actually, you know, a bowl of porridge oats. And that's much better than having a piece of cake, for example, that is your 20 grams of carbohydrates. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I think there's a lot of miscommunication there. And I think also, um, it's not just the social media generation. I have patients in general practice who are in their 50s, 60s, and they've suggested to me that they're going on a healthier lifestyle by cutting out all the carbohydrates. So it's really filtering across the board that cutting out carbohydrates is somehow equates to a healthier lifestyle, which is not yeah, necessarily the case for a lot of people. Yeah, I think that's what we've been told over the last few years. So mm. there is actually a little bit of evidence to suggest that the ketogenic diet is actually good for people with PCOS. So the ketogenic diet is where you put yourself in this slightly unnatural state of ketosis. Well, it's it's not an unnatural state. It's something that your body does go through, but it's not something that you're supposed to be in all the time. 24-7, yeah, yeah, like a lot of people. Exactly. So it's based on having a lot of, um, a lot of protein, a lot of fat, and then it's quite restrictive in terms of what you can have in terms of carbohydrates. So it's basically where you flip your body's uh, main energy consumption from carbohydrate sources to fat. There is evidence to suggest that it can help insulin resistance. So as I mentioned at the start, that's something that's a problem for a lot of women with PCOS. But is it something that's sustainable? Because 
if you're on a ketogenic diet, are you going to stick to that? If you can, that's absolutely fine. But for a lot of people, that's going to be very, very restrictive. For me, it's not something that I would like to do because, I mean, you and I have a shared love of colourful vegetables, (laughs) don't we? (laughs) And you won't be able to eat all those things. And for me, the ketogenic diet misses out a lot of things that I really enjoy in my diet. And I worry slightly about the fact that it's quite a low residue diet. You're not getting a lot of fibre as well. Yeah, I think that's probably the prime concern for me, certainly, is when people go on ketogenic diets, I I don't mind. You know, if you want to try something uh, and you find that it's been beneficial for you, do it safely and do it with the supervision of a health professional. Long-term strategy, as a long-term strategy rather, when you're removing that much fibre and from what we know about the importance of the microbiome, the population of microbes living around our body largely centred in our gut, it's not going to be a good thing reducing their food source essentially. And also there's the side effects of going on a ketogenic diet which include bad breath, nausea, constipation and the fact that it's pretty difficult to live a normal way of living if you're constantly searching for fat and protein sources and trying to eliminate sources of carbohydrates which include most vegetables. Exactly. And that just kind of makes your life much more restrictive. And it means you have to think a lot more about food, which I think just generally kind of increases anxiety, for me at least. And the thing also I would say um, about fibre in women's health is that having a good poo is the way that your body gets rid of excess estrogen. And it's a massive problem. So most people in this country don't eat enough fibre, but we think we do because we have caffeine. So a lot of people, when they actually look at how much they're eating, they're not having enough fibre, but they're still going for a a poo every day because they're having their coffee in the morning or lots of tea and things. But if you get constipated, you can actually get a buildup of oestrogen in the body. And if you have PCOS, you naturally will be more oestrogen dominant because of the fact you're not ovulating, not making progesterone. But this also applies to lots of um, gynecological disorders. So fibroids tend to be oestrogen driven, endometriosis, and also can contribute to just things like PMS, so premenstrual syndrome. So it's really important to be helping your body to eliminate all the waste products by making sure that you're having a healthy poo every day. Lots of fibre in your diet, absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> um, but then so the, then there's the Mediterranean diet, which we're both huge fans yes, of. Yes, absolutely. Um, and that also equally has been shown in a lot of populations to be very useful at preventing diabetes. So again, it can be helpful for insulin resistance and for people with PCOS. And there's actually been studies to show that the Mediterranean diet is much easier to stick to. Mm. And it's just, you know, it's a much more applicable principle to life. It's something easier to do. You don't have to shun any particular food types. Yeah. And I think like as a starting point for a lot of people, a Mediterranean way of eating is very uh, appropriate and it's Mm. very achievable as well. Really what a Mediterranean way of eating is, is colours, lots of different sorts of fibres like beans, legumes, good sources of quality fats. Fats Um, are so important though as well, as you touched on it, because that's what our female hormones are made of and lots of hormones in our body. So they're steroid hormones. They're made from cholesterol, which you get from good fats. So that's why it's really important for women to eat things like avocado, nuts, good healthy oils. And that's something that a lot of women are still quite scared of. I remember when I was tracking my diet all the time, I was terrified to eat avocados at that point because they're they're full of fat. But again, it's all about when you you get a bit too obsessed with the details. Exactly, yes. Um, You know, it can all become a bit too much, but you need to eat healthy fats. And also, I think that the low fat diet that used to be quite popular a few years ago is also really not that healthy, particularly for people with PCOS, because if you're buying a low fat alternative, it will tend to have much more sugar. 
you think that you're being healthy because you're not having fat, but then you're actually giving yourself tons of sugar, which you're then spiking your insulin, you're making testosterone and you're going to ovulate. And Exactly. You can see continues. these downstream effects, right? Exactly. And I think that's where we have an unhealthy obsession with particular elements of a diet, whether that be fat, whether it be calories, we really lose the grander picture, which is whether our diet is wholesome. Are you having whole sources of fats? Are you having whole sources of fiber and colorful fruits and vegetables with the skins on and, you know, largely processed to a minimum, etc. all these different things. So from a Mediterranean perspective, there are different sorts of phytonutrients that we find in these sorts of diets, right? So reds, the oranges, the purples, these are going to have a direct impact on the symptoms of PCOS as well, as well as the risk factors for things like diabetes and cardiovascular disease, right? Exactly. So they're all helpful for, you know, the whole spectrum of complications that can be associated with PCOS. So you're going to be able to reduce your blood pressure. You're going to be able to keep your sugar levels under control. Um, and all these are really important. And also another thing that a lot of people worry about is endometrial cancer. It's known to be associated with PCOS. There's about two and a half to three times the risk for women with PCOS. The reason that PCOS is associated with this maybe to do with insulin resistance, but also if you're not actually shedding your endometrial lining every month well. We want to be getting people to the point where they are having a regular cycle. So by making all these little changes in your diet, you'll start to find that you will start to ovulate, you'll start to have more regular periods. And that's when you know that you're actually doing something positive for your health. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So you're reducing that unfortunate cancer risk. Yeah. Absolutely. Also, I think a lot of the things that people miss out on when it comes to choosing a particular way of eating is um, when you do a lot of the things that are similar across all diet spectrums, and that is removing refined carbohydrates, removing the things that are highly calorific and nutrient poor like fizzy drinks and improving the amount of vegetables that you have in your diet. You're doing pretty much some of the best things that you can do overall. So it's no wonder there are successes of individual diets because the core of what they're doing is very, very similar. Yeah. So I think the main thing is I just think find something that works for you that you're going to be able to stick to and is not too restrictive because the problem is that, you know, these are all young women often that are diagnosed with PCOS. And I don't want to be giving anybody anxiety regarding food. I don't want people to become fatty eaters because of the fact that they are worried about their PCOS. I want somebody to adopt a way of eating that makes them feel good and has a positive impact on their gynecological health, but also on their health in general. Absolutely. So that's diet. <laughs> Exercise. Now, this is like your favourite subject, I think. Yeah. This is my absolute favourite and I will go to town on it. Yeah. Um, it's something that I get asked about a lot. And this, again, is not just applicable to women with PCOS. This is for any woman who has hormones. So ah, that's everyone. Yeah, that's everyone. Yeah, that is. Yeah. As I said at the start, I was really obsessed with HIIT training and a few years ago, really became it, the thing to do. Yeah, it so, just blew up, didn't exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah. So that's yeah. high intensity interval training. And so what that means is it's an exercise that you'll you'll pick a couple of exercises and you'll go like balls to the wall for 20 seconds, 30 <laughs> seconds, you know, for a short balls period of time. <laughs> that's what my coach Adam calls it. <laughs> uh, so that's one way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. You know, you'll really go for it for a short period of time and then you'll rest and then you'll do it all again. And so there's lots of um, workouts online or lots of classes where you can go and do that. And you're doing that for maybe half an hour, 45 minutes, even an hour sometimes. Mm, an um, hour, that's a lot. Yeah. And yeah. so when I was doing that kind of thing, I was always 
on fire. <laughs> like temperature wise, I was sweating all the time. I always felt like, you know, my metabolism was on fire. So I thought this is amazing. I'm doing something really good for myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's not good to be like that all the time. All the time, no, Because yeah. basically when you're doing that kind of thing, HIIT training has been shown to increase your insulin sensitivity. Yes. So yeah. I can see why it would make sense in PCOS. But it also is not something that you need to be doing all the time. So if you are chronically doing HIIT training, if you're doing it, you know, more than three, four, five times a week, and that's your predominant form of exercise, that's too much you for most very, people yeah. because you're mm. going to be massively spiking your cortisol level. So cortisol is your stress hormone. When you make cortisol, you do so at the expense of progesterone because they're made in the same pathway. So your body preferentially makes cortisol because you need cortisol to survive. You'd like to make some progesterone, but you don't need it to survive. You need the cortisol. So your body does that. So if you're using up all the ingredients, you can't make progesterone. So that's going to have an impact on your women's health. And this particular pathway that we're actually talking about right now is also the same pathway we talk about when we talk about stress as well. So it's really interesting to see how mm. exercise is having this. Essentially, we're, we're taking away the raw ingredients from producing progesterone and putting it towards cortisol. So we're creating an imbalance there yeah. but it, it, hit training is very interesting because i think as as a mode of exercise the research is pretty old it's, it's come out like at least 20 25 years ago now there were some japanese researchers and they certainly weren't doing hit training for an hour straight it was usually less than 45 30 minutes exactly all the studies i found actually do hit training for quite a short period of time but we've kind of like taken it that yeah. step too far i think <laughs> yeah. and i get asked a lot via social media particularly people say you know how many times a week should I be exercising? How many times a week should I be doing HIT and all this kind of thing? But there's not one rule for all. And I always say to people as well, it depends what else is going on in your life. So for some people, you know, if you're quite a chilled out person and you're eating well and sleeping well, then maybe you can do five HIT sessions a week and it's not going to affect you. But if you are somebody who maybe sleeps five or six hours a night, goes out three evenings a week, has a very stressful job and is always eating on the run, for example, then HIIT training probably isn't great for you. So I'm much more of a fan of strength training for women. And when people say, you know, hear the term strength training, they think, oh, she's going to tell me to go to the gym and lift weights. And yeah, okay, that's what I do. And if you look on my social media, you will see that, yes, I do go to the gym, I lift weights, and I have an amazing strength coach called Adam Willis. I thought you were about to say, I have amazing guns. <laughs> Well, but yeah, that as well. That we'll side. let people decide what they think about my guns. But I, d I like weight training and that's my kind of strength training that I do. And that's my time to go and just be quiet. I don't have any phones or emails. I go at six o'clock in the morning. That's what works for me. And there's no one in the gym. I don't have to talk to anyone. And that's almost like for me, my kind of like mindfulness time as well. I was just thinking that as well. I think a lot of people find gym work, whether it's strength training or otherwise, a form of mindfulness, which is very important. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. But then there are other kinds of strength training that you can do. And there's lots of great workouts online and lots of people putting great videos out on Instagram and, and on YouTube of things that you can do. And you can be so creative. I mean, there's all these people who do all these great home workouts just using sofas and chairs. Yeah, so yeah. many things you can do. And, and strength training compared to just pure cardio is much better, in my opinion, for women's health because 
women are more likely to have thin bones, you know, later in life, later in life osteoporosis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when you load your bones, they become stronger. So you want to be building bone strength when you are young. So it's really important for that. But also strength training tends to build lean muscle. So particularly weight training has a bad reputation amongst women because they think they're going to get really bulky and they're going to end up you know, looking like the Incredible Hulk. Well, that doesn't happen to women um, unless you're really, uh, you know, trying to achieve that. But the reason that strength training is good is because you build lean muscle, so you actually lose a bit of adipose tissue. So you might not find that your weight changes. In fact, some people's weight will go up. I'm my heaviest when I'm strongest and leanest, actually, because I have more muscle at that point. Lean muscle is much more insulin sensitive compared to adipose tissue, so fat tissue. And also fat is the source of testosterone in women. So about 50% of your testosterone is made by your fat tissue. So if you've got more fat tissue, you're going to make more testosterone, which again... Will have an impact on your PCOS symptoms. Exactly. So if you're doing something that is beneficial in that respect, then that will have a positive impact on the outcome. So lots of people who've started strength training have actually found their periods are coming back because of the you know complete different impact it has on your hormones and on your body. That's brilliant. And I think that is going to be revolutionary for a lot of people to hear that actually strength training can have that impact or at least the variety of exercise that we should be introducing our patients to. I certainly have a lot of people doing HIIT training and that kind of stuff. And it's been great for their, for their fat stores and their energy levels and the, the post-exercise metabolism, the mm-hmm. one that made you like a, a heater uh, 24-7. But certainly like, you know, adding things like yoga and stretch and flow and mobility adding that quiet time and and I suppose that leads us quite nicely onto the the next sort of topic which is stress reduction in in PCOS. So that's so important. So first thing I would say is there's a really interesting um, study that I was reading recently um, looking at some girls in India. So there's 90 girls in India and they all had PCOS and what they did was they got them to um, do an hour of yoga every day for 12 weeks And they found a massive improvement in all of their biochemical markers. So lots of blood tests that they did. And also in their PCOS symptoms. Just both subjectively, their symptoms improved as well as objectively. When we look on a blood panel, they had improvements. Exactly. And so you might think, okay, well, that's not really achievable for me. I can't do an hour of yoga every day. And I I mean, I completely agree for most people it's not achievable. (laughs) As I mentioned before, the, the message is all about what is achievable and what are you going to stick to. But even if you just say start by doing it once a week, that's going to help because when you do yoga, it's been shown that it improves your stress levels. So you're going to make less cortisol. Another thing to mention actually as well with regard to PCOS is that your adrenal glands make testosterone. So that's another source of if you're very, very stressed, you're going to be increasing your testosterone there as well. So you're making more testosterone, you're making lots of cortisol and expensive progesterone. Also, stress can actually turn off the um, production signals for um, your female hormones in your brain. Right. A lot of people don't realise this. So a lot of people think that their brain is completely disconnected from their ovaries and their womb. It's, it's just not true. So it's called the um, hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis, so the HPO axis. And this also 
integrates with HPA axis. So that's with the adrenal glands as well. Because yeah, I think a lot of people have heard of HPA axis. And, exactly. Yeah, but HPO. Yeah. And the reason is, is it's completely an evolutionary phenomenon. Say, for example, your body thinks that there's a lion chasing you, which is what you're doing when you're running around all day at work and then running all around all day in the evening and then doing your hip workout. You're, mm. You know, from an evolutionary point of view, your body thinks you're being chased by a lion. Yes, yes, so it yeah. says, uh, danger, <laughs> yeah. got to switch off the signals. And that's what it does. It switches them off centrally in the brain. So you won't be making all of these hormones because it doesn't want you to get pregnant. Yeah. And you can see how this is having impact on non-hormonal issues, right? With, with women, it's not just PCOS that we're referring to. Exactly. And, and again, yoga has been shown to be associated with better outcomes in terms of diabetes, heart disease, also brain function. So I think that we really underestimate the impact that psychological health and mental health can have on our on our menstrual cycle. I mean, lots of people will be nodding now thinking, yeah, okay, I've been really stressed and I didn't get my period that month or my period was late. It's all due to um, the stress that's happening around you. Exactly, it, it, yes. It's a real thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm glad we can say for definite, this is a real thing. And even if you can't achieve, you know, an hour of yoga or, uh, you know, 20 minutes of meditation per day, any amount of that particular activity that creates inner calm that's good for your physical mm. ability as well is going to have some benefit exactly. and you may even decide to prioritize a bit more time per day to this activity when you actually see the benefits that can be achieved yeah absolutely and i had a patient um the other week and i was talking to her about exercise and she's like yeah i've got a gym membership but i don't go and i said look you don't need to go to the gym to exercise because this is what society tells us it tells us that we have to go we have to wear the best lycra we have to you know, be sweating. And I mean, it's all about the lycra, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) No, but it it tells us that exercise is something that's done in the gym, but exercise is something that you can do anywhere. And then, so I had a discussion with this lady trying to work out how she could fit it in with her day. And I said, how much time do you get for lunch at work? And she said, oh, I get get an hour. So I thought, okay, that's great. That's really lucky. If I had an hour for lunch, I'd be living the dream. Yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, so she said she had an hour. So I said, great, why don't you go for a 20 minute walk? Then you've still got 40 minutes. You can eat your lunch. And I said, can you go and walk somewhere to go and get your lunch, for example, if you haven't brought it with you? And then I said, just go for a walk. Don't take headphones. Just go in your own thoughts. And so then she would be doing two things. She would be getting some exercise, but also having that mindful time to just relax. We have constant stimulation all the time. You know, you've got amazing podcasts that you can listen to. <laughs> you, know, you can get the radio on your phone these days. You can listen to music. We're always being stimulated. And then so you don't have that time to just let your brain just, you know, process all the things that it wants to process. And I think that really contributes to poor sleep in a lot of people. Because sleep is something that I really talk to my patients about a lot. Um, and it's something that I'm working on in myself, I have mm-hmm. to admit. Yeah, yeah. We all so, are, really, when yeah, it comes to sleep. Yeah. I think me and you are quite bad, actually. We don't yeah. really practice what we <laughs> preach, do we, Rupi? I've seen the time that you're posting your Insta stories at I night. Know, yeah. And everyone's like, well, everyone's texting me like, you should be in bed by now. You shouldn't be using your phone. Like, I, I know, I know this. Do as I say. <laughs> but it is so important. And I think that if you're very stressed, I mean, I personally like clench my jaw when I'm really stressed and I know that I haven't had a good quality of sleep. So these are things that you can look out for. 
in order to actually see if the things that you are doing are having an impact because you need positive reinforcement from somewhere. So if you feel that you're waking up more refreshed, you haven't been clenching your jaw, you haven't been having funny dreams and things, you know, that's a little bit of positive reinforcement that these little things that you're chipping away at every day are actually having an impact on your health. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's that positive reinforcement that people lack and that constant engagement and, you know, testing the waters, trying out different things, trying different mindfulness techniques. I had a patient that um, basically said that, uh, uh, you know, she'd been meditating for 15 minutes twice a day. And I was like, wow, that, that's amazing. I, I, do you feel more relaxed? She was like, absolutely no. And it's because she was using an app that she didn't really like using, but she wanted to stick with it because she'd been told that it was beneficial for her. Mm-hmm. And I think there are lots of different mindfulness strategies that we can find. And I think your sneaky way of uh, doing a, a walk and uh, a mindfulness strategy is something that I'm going to I'm gonna borrow. Yeah, go <laughs> that it. was a good one, yeah. <laughs> Anita, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming back for a second time. I think we've got lots more things to talk about as well. And I'm sure I we'll agree. be doing this again. Definitely. And there's going to be lots of comments and stuff like that. But just to sign off, where can people find you? And what are you up to next? So you can find me at guineageek.com or at guineageek on Instagram and Twitter. And keep an eye on what I'm up to. That's yeah. all I'll say. Dr. Mecha is one of my closest friends in this. I can't tell you how much of a pleasure it was having her again on the podcast for a second time. You can find her at Gyne Geek on Instagram and her website, again, is brilliant. You should definitely go check it out and follow her. I'm going to summarize some of the key points that we had from our conversation here. So we talked about fiber. Now, fiber is particularly important for women's hormones. As Dr. Anita said, it actually helps clear excess of the women's hormone estrogen from the body. So it's really important when it comes to reducing your risk for a number of different conditions. Nutrient density in the form of colorful vegetables. I mean, if you remember to series one, we talked about phytochemicals and what those actually mean. Nutrient density is things that we get from a Mediterranean style diet. So that's colorful fruits and vegetables, the greens, the yellows, the purples, very, very important. And all the different anti-inflammatory effects that they have as well refined carbohydrates so excess sugars in the diet excess processed foods by just simply eliminating some of those or the majority of those in your diet can have an effect on women's hormones exercise and variety of exercise can be really important and actually as a form of exercise which is almost a form of mindfulness as well is yoga anita is a really big fan of that and i think given that there are some small studies looking at how it could be effective for some women's health issues it's something that you may want to try as well If I was to suggest a recipe that sums up exactly what we were talking about today, it would be the butternut masaman curry from my cookbook. It is fantastic. It's got lots of different vegetables in and it is very easy to make. So make sure you get to the kitchen and start cooking that up and subscribe and comment on this podcast. It really helps spread the message and get this information to more people. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.